It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Ladies and gentlemen, we begin with the following quote. The only people who are not vaccinated are just a-holes. That is the esteemed Sir Charles Barkley. We got a lot of serious stuff to get to today. And it actually does reflect, I mean, his, you know, basketball analyst and former uh, monster pro player. But it does reflect uh, growing anger uh, that I've talked about in recent days in the media now among the vaccinated toward those refusing to get the shots. And I'll have more to say about this. With all the serious stuff, just wanted to start on a lighter note. Like, for example, this story about Paris Hilton. I mean, if you have a computer or a phone, you probably saw a headline saying Paris Hilton is pregnant or reportedly pregnant or could be pregnant or might be pregnant. Well, she's not pregnant. As the New York Post informs us, Paris Hilton denied she is pregnant with her first child. How did this even make this onto the web? Look, I don't really care if she is or not. I'm much more interested in the Britney Spears case. Her mom testified about the abusive, controlling behavior of her dad and trying to get rid of that conservatorship. But in case you do care about Paris Hilton, um, she shot down rumors that she's expecting a baby with her fiancé. She says, not yet. I'm waiting till after the wedding. Uh, The only thing in in the oven at the moment is my... Sliving lasagna. Oh, she has a new Netflix cooking show coming up. So maybe the whole thing was just a publicity stunt. Uh, She has talked about um, picking out a wedding dress and uh, being interested in starting a family, but for now, none of that. All right. I, it was a very emotional day for me yesterday, watching the House hearing on the Capitol riot. As you know, four police officers, two from the Capitol Police, two from the D.C. Metropolitan Police, testified. And I went into it, you know, as a journalist, I cover this all the time. Lived through it on January 6th. Have been in that building a million times. And I I figured I knew most of what would be said because I've read so much about this and seen so much about this. And I, I was really not prepared for the powerful accounts of these four officers. Now, I've been as skeptical as anybody about the politics surrounding this investigation. I wish the Republicans had gone along with a bipartisan independent commission. I wish Nancy Pelosi had not knocked off two of the five Republicans named to the panel by Kevin McCarthy. I wish Kevin McCarthy had not then decided to pull all of his members. So, you know, so you're left with this all-Democratic panel with two, what McCarthy calls Pelosi Republicans, Liz Cheney uh, and Adam Kinzinger. But that's the partisan part of it. What the police officers talked about was how they feared for their lives. What the police officers talked about was what it was like to live through that horrible, tragic, violent day in which they were abused and threatened and insulted and attacked just for doing their jobs. You know, I have a column about this today on Fox, and I start out talking about the Olympics, and we'll get to that in a moment. And I say, look, I understand Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, there's enormous pressure on these athletes when they play on the world stage. But that's a very different kind of pressure than politicians face. Politicians face um, the pressure of representing their constituents, representing the country, protecting the country. And they don't always behave well, as I just described, you know, McCarthy calling Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger Pelosi Republicans. They said it was childish. Um, at least Stefanik, I believe, called them Pelosi's pawns. You know, that's the usual Beltway BS, okay? 
Then there's the pressure of wearing a uniform and wearing a badge and suddenly facing something like you never have before. I mean, for example, uh, one of the four officers, Aquilino Gonell, he's an Iraq War veteran on the Capitol Police. He said that nothing he had seen, even in a war zone, prepared him uh, for what he was facing. He said, I could feel myself losing oxygen and recall thinking to myself, this is how I'm going to die defending this entrance. Uh, and he went off on the uh, GOP congressman who said, well, it's kind of, except for a few people, it's kind of like a, a tourist visit on January 6th. Here's Gunnell. How do you call an attack on a police officer a tour when you see my bleeding hands, when you see all the officers getting concussions, getting maimed, getting fingers shattered, get eyes gouged? Daniel Hodges, the D.C. police, said he feared that he would be lynched as the rioters were shouting, traitors, and your mother's a whore, and you will die on your knees. Harry Dunn of the Capitol Police said he was hit with a torrent of racial epithets, including effing N-word, and this N-word voted for Joe Biden, which he said he had. Isn't he allowed to do that? Um, another black officer uh, telling Dunn that a rioter had said, put your gun down and we'll show you what kind of N-word you really are. And he was one who took a shot at Donald Trump, saying that what he did on January 6th, what the former president did, was like hiring a hitman to conduct a crime. So sometimes it's straight into politics. So I certainly acknowledge that. But look at what these people went through. Michael Fanone, D.C. police officer, said the attackers were trying to wrestle his gun out of his hands. And one man shouted, kill him with his own gun. Now, I thought the handling of yesterday's hearing by the mostly Democratic members had less of the, you know, super partisan speechifying. You could certainly pull out quotes. And I was struck talking about this question of pressure when Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin said he wished his colleagues on Capitol Hill, his fellow lawmakers, would show a fraction of the courage and valor displayed by these four uh, police officers. Uh, now, what I always say when I talk about this is the following. Of course, it's in the Democrats' interest to keep this story alive, to keep the spotlight on it, to focus on Donald Trump's role heading into next year's midterms. Of course, it's in the Republicans' interest to say nothing to see here. we got to move on. We've already dealt with January 6th. This is purely partisan. And to defend Trump, who talks about the loving crowd and the hugs and kisses of January 6th. But I was also struck by Liz Cheney, and I know, you know, you talk about political pressure. She may have thrown away her political career. She may well not be reelected in Wyoming next year. She lost her leadership post, obviously. And she had a quote in which she said, Do we hate our political adversaries more than we love our country and revere our Constitution? So I just thought it was gripping, it was visceral, the idea that they were just putting on a show or engaging in theatrics. I mean, if you watched any of this and you listened to their voices and you saw their faces as they relived this nightmare, I don't think you would say that. Uh, so what are Republicans saying? Well, Huffington Post notes that Louisiana Republican Senator John Kennedy, just more of Pelosi's partisan pageantry. He didn't watch the testimony. Just because she loves drama 
doesn't mean I have to attend the performance. So some of them are belittling it. You know, reporters fanned out on the Hill and said, did you see it? What did you think? Uh, according to the Washington Post, Kevin McCarthy said he was booked at all these different meetings. Didn't have a chance to watch. Congressman Jim Jordan, who would have been on the committee, if not having been knocked off by Pelosi, said he was busy with a committee hearing. Um, the seeming disinterest in learning the details of an attack prompted by their party's president that featured calls to find and hang the vice president was all the more bracing given the dramatic testimony from the four police officers about the threat posed by attackers they cast as terrorists seeking to overthrow democracy. That's the Washington Post take. So I don't know where the committee goes from here. It was obviously a politically shrewd move to begin with the police officers. Um, There's some talk that they're going to go straight to subpoenas. None of this voluntary testimony, dragging it out. Ask former Trump administration officials to testify. See how that pans out. I mean, the reason that this remains such a partisan divide is that the former president continues to say frequently, constantly, that the election was stolen, the election was rigged. And what happened on January 6th when this mob, when these rioters tried to stop Congress from certifying the results of the Electoral College, um, it just won't fade. And in a way, it seems almost more divisive now than it did in the immediate aftermath of January 6th, because at that time, I felt like there was some unity when you had McCarthy and Mitch McConnell and others um, denouncing what had happened in the heat of the moment. Because at one point, one of those officers said, look, I was there trying to protect all of you, meaning the members of Congress in the hearing and all 535 members of Congress and, of course, their staffs. Okay, let's move on now to the virus. Uh, You know, every day I give you the count. It was 10,000 new cases a day and 20 and then 30, 40. Got to uh, 53,000, I believe, 56,000 the day before yesterday. And yesterday, more than 63,000 new cases. So you see the trajectory going up. Now it's serious business. 63,000 plus new COVID-19 cases in America because, largely because, We still have 100 million Americans who have not been vaccinated. And here you have the CDC coming out with new mask guidance. And I think this is a mess, an absolute friggin' mess, and I'll explain why. So now the CDC says, well, people should resume wearing masks in public indoor spaces. So if you go into a store, a restaurant, shopping mall, in parts of the country where the virus is surging. Well, what exactly are those parts? Yes, you can look at a map. Uh, and, and, and figure out where the hotspots are. But how is the average person supposed to know? Um, and I think that the Delta variant is showing every day its willingness to outsmart us, says Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDC. But the CDC's guidance was vague. Um, this is a decision we have not made lightly, Walensky said. Of course, it completely reverses the decision of just a couple of months ago. Uh, Jen Psaki asked at her regular news briefing about changing the mask guidance. She said it was crucial to battling an ever-evolving virus, and the Biden administration supports this. The virus is changing. We're dealing with a dynamic situation, says Anthony Fauci. I don't think you can say this is just flip-flopping back and forth. They're dealing with new information that the science is providing. So my argument here is not about flip-flopping. Obviously, the situation right now with the Delta variant is 
and 63 new cases a day is far different than it was in the beginning of June when we all were kind of like, this is great, get a vaccine, it's over, we can all go out without masks. But here's the problem. First of all, lots and lots of people aren't even going to listen to this. I think the CDC, the way it is with it, between its um, inexact explanations, its overly strict guidance only to pull back, only to restore it, and the just fact that they're just lousy at messaging has costed a lot of credibility. Secondly, um, it seems to me that the people who need to follow this guidance are not going to follow it for the same reason they're not getting the vaccine. So here's a New York Times analysis that I think makes a good point. Uh, The CDC is polarizing, and therefore the parts of the country that would most benefit from more aggressive action, including frequent mask wearing, are the places least likely to follow CDC guidance. That would be these mostly red states where you have the lowest vaccination rates. The places that are most likely to follow the CDC guidance or even overfollow it tend to be politically liberal, highly vaccinated communities where people have been willing to wear masks even when the scientific evidence says it's not necessary, such as outdoors. And by the way, this mandate situation, I told you yesterday, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Yesterday it was the Veterans Administration, New York City, state of California. Well, uh, CNN, Washington Post, and others now reporting that tomorrow President Biden will announce that all federal employees and all federal contractors must be vaccinated uh, in order to keep their jobs or submit to regular testing to show they don't have it, according to sources, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if this is as big a crisis as the president has been claiming, then he should do that. It's going to spark a big backlash. But, you know, working for the federal government is a privilege. These are good jobs. And I think the president has the power to do this. He can also impose it on the military. George Washington, as I mentioned yesterday, once ordered his troops during the Revolutionary War to get smallpox inoculations. Uh, But The Atlantic has an interesting piece about just how confused and muddled this all seems. I'll read a little bit of it. We are a nation of underdoers and overdoers. Every time the government has issued COVID guidance, one slice of America has ignored it, while another slice has followed it to the letter, and then some. The government says stay six feet apart. Some Americans scoffed, while others didn't set foot inside a restaurant for a year. CDC's previous decision to let vaccinated people go unmasked is shaping up to be a replay of the same thing. Why should I be wearing a mask indoors anyway? For some Americans, this is no longer a choice. Um, Los Angeles County, as I mentioned, put an indoor mask mandate back into effect. Uh, St. Louis has done that as well. But that doesn't mean that people are going to follow it. This is disappointing because vaccines were supposed to free us from masks. So if you don't live in L.A., says this piece, should you keep donning a mask at Trader Joe's or taking sips of a cocktail between mask gangs at a house party? I asked four experts, the author says, and received four different answers. Wow. But here's the bottom line. This is what really troubles me about what the CDC has just done. It's going to be a disincentive to some of those 100 million Americans who we all want to get vaccinated because they're going to say, what's the point? The whole idea was you get vaccinated, you protect yourself, you protect your family, you protect your friends, you protect your colleagues, 
and you make it easier on yourself and you don't have to wear masks. Now the CDC is saying, CDC is saying, get vaccinated and yeah, depending on where you live, you still may have to do it in some places and so forth. And a lot of people are going to look at that, throw up their hands and say, well, why bother? What incentive do I have? How will my life be better if I get vaccinated? So I think it actually couldn't end up being kind of productive. I hope I'm wrong. Don't go anywhere. More Buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. Let's circle back to the Olympics. Uh, there has been so much uh, said and so much commentary now about Simone Biles pulling out of the gymnastics team. And she's an incredible athlete. Uh, I watched some of her early competition. And the fact that she pulled out in the middle of a competition and now says she's not going to compete again in the Tokyo Olympics, even in the individual events, when she is so talented, um, has, of course, sparked an intense debate. She, at first, it was thought, well, she must have injured herself. She said, no, I don't have a physical injury. I'm not in the right mental space to compete. I have to work on my mindfulness. And, you know, this has sparked a great debate. Now, a number of female columnists and a number of black columnists are saying, and I mentioned yesterday about how much pressure she feels and she imposes on herself, say she's a heroine for doing this, that she's not a robot, that she's a human being, that she can't just deliver these incredible performances on command, there's some thought that she was hurting her team with subpar performances, although her subpar performances are better than most athletes in the gymnastics area, and, and kind of praising her uh, for simply uh, being honest and candid about the fact that she's struggling mentally, not physically. On the other hand, you know, I would say she let a lot of people down. She walked away from her team. Maybe she needed to do that. If you put yourself in the arena, and she's been in the Olympics before, and so she's a veteran, she knows how to do this, you know, you're putting yourself on the line in every competition. And that's the way we measure sports. Maybe it's unfair. Maybe we expect too much. Maybe we build these people up into demigods. I mean, look at Katie Ledecky. She won a gold medal yesterday, her first of this Olympics, after losing uh, in her first outing and then losing uh, yesterday. I was going to say last night, but I'm not sure with the time difference when it actually happened in a 200-meter race that usually she excels at, and she just didn't have it, and she lost to the Australian, the Titmus. But then an hour or so later, she comes back and wins the 1,500-meter, uh, something that hadn't even existed for women in the Olympics, basically was put there because of her. So after two, you know, one was a silver medal. The one, first one yesterday, she didn't even medal. She finished fifth, and she comes back and has the mental toughness to win the gold. That's how we measure athletes, you know. They either rise to the pressure or they don't. So I'm a little puzzled. I, I sympathize with Simone Biles. I'm not here to criticize her, but I'm a little puzzled why she should be cheered and applauded for doing this. She was part of a team. Um, and at the same time, I think we ought not to come down too heavily on such people. Speaking of whom... Naomi Osaka, who famously pulled out of the French Open, wanted so badly to win in Japan because she's representing her country in Tokyo. And she didn't pull out. She just got clobbered. She lost in the third round to a Czech player who's ranked number 42. And now she's getting beat up on Japanese social media with some questioning her identity or right to represent the country at all. This is really ugly stuff, reading here from New York Times piece. Um... One commenter on a Yahoo News story said, I still can't understand why she was the final torchbearer. Although she says she is Japanese, she cannot speak Japanese very much. Several said that, uh, and that was liked by, I don't know, 10,000 people. 
She's the Japanese-born daughter of a Haitian-American father and a Japanese mother. She's of mixed heritage. And she, on the plus side, has helped challenge the sort of monolithic nature, ethnic nature of Japanese society and changed the way it views its own cultural identity. And, and she's gotten all these endorsements as a result, and now people are beating up on her. Oh, one person said, if we had to swallow this Black Lives Matter thing, because she is black and has spoken out on behalf of BLM, the least you could do is win. So when she didn't do that, now some people are unleashing their ugliness. Mixed race residents in Japan, I didn't know this, or hafu, as it's called, as they're called, struggle to be accepted as authentically Japanese, even if they were born and raised in the country. Um, so that's sad and showing an under, a dark underside of Japanese society. Meanwhile, in other Olympics news, a sports commentator in Greece, this is just beyond the pale, made an on-air remark about a South Korean athlete that the, that the person's own station has called racist, and that person has been fired. It's a state, it's public television in Greece. ERT Television said it ended his collaboration with veteran journalist, uh, I will try this, Demosthenes Carmiris. He was a guest commentator. What he said about a ping pong player, table tennis, South Korean athlete, their eyes are narrow, so I can't understand how they can see the ball moving back and forth. This network sent a statement, racist comments have no place on public television. I mean, that's not just out and out disgustingly racist. It's just stupid, dumb, classless. How did this person ever get to be a commentator on television? Uh, it just, you know, like you just throw up your hands and roll your eyes and say, holy blank. Uh, meanwhile, let's throw some politics in here. You know, there's this recall going on out in California where Governor Gavin Newsom has to fight for his job. You know, California is one of those states that can do that. That's how Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor in 2003 because Gray Davis, you know, didn't do anything terrible or scandalous. He was struggling to lead the state, Democrat, and he got tossed out. And there were all these candidates, Ariana Huffington ran, you know, you recall. Um, and we're facing the same situation now. Now, a month or two ago, the stories that I was reading about this California recall said that basically, you know, Newsom was going to skate. Uh, California was coming out of the pandemic. Things were looking good. People were feeling good. Uh, a lot of people not even aware there was going to be a recall. But that may be starting to change. Politico reporting that on a, uh, the first major poll since this, the field was certified because, you know, you got to get a certain number of signatures to be eligible for the ballot. So this is the Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies showing that Newsom would beat the recall by just three points. 50% of the most likely voters saying they would retain him versus 47% saying they would replace him. As I recall... There's this, it's a two-part process. You can retain or replace the incumbent. And then if the vote is to replace, then you see who, who gets the most votes from what's usually a sizable field. Now, it's 51-36 in Newsom's favor among all registered voters, but so what? It's a recall election. All that matters is turnout. And the likely voter results is that, look, it's a very blue state. 
and Newsom is essentially the only significant Democratic candidate. So I think he probably ends up skating in the end. Uh, and you got a, a, a field that will divide the vote. But still, if you're the incumbent, and, and clearly, you know, now that L.A. County has imposed this mask mandate and now that um, there's a feeling that we're back in the middle of the pandemic, you know, voter dissatisfaction with Gavin Newsom may influence the outcome. It's as simple as that. Um, here is the director of the polls saying it's really an election that's going to boil down to turnout, you know, like every other election. And in the middle of July, it does not appear the Democrats are that enthused. They're not that aroused. As of right now, I'd say he, Newsom, is in jeopardy. Of course, I think the vote is actually in September and it's the middle of the summer. So, you know, people start paying attention to elections usually in the final weeks. Newsom's uh, approval rating, this is a separate finding, underwater again, 51% of registered voters disapproving of his performance versus 48% Proving double-digit majority, so California is on the wrong track. So the person who has the most votes, other than Newsom, at 18% is Larry Elder. He's a conservative radio host, African-American. He had been knocked off the ballot, and he had to go to court, and he barely got back on the ballot. I mean, look, the thing is, when you have a wide field, most are unknown. Elder is kind of a celebrity. Uh, he's been around a long time as a commentator, radio show, or making TV appearances. And he's at 18%. Now, is that enough? By Is that even close to being enough for him to be the next governor? No, but it's an interesting showing. So behind him are two other Republicans, the former San Diego mayor, Kevin Falconer, and John Cox, who ran for governor in 2018. They each have 10%. So you could argue that Somebody who ran the city of San Diego is more qualified than a radio talk show, but it doesn't matter. How about Caitlyn Jenner? 3%. I would say Caitlyn Jenner has gotten, I don't know, a third of the media coverage having to do, and, and gets more coverage now because the former Bruce Jenner gets to talk about the Olympics, um, and likes Trump, and, and meanwhile, not a serious candidate, 3%, a celebrity candidate, and it just shows you the media's weakness for celebrity why there's so much coverage here. So that's an update on the situation in California. I, I got to close by saying this. It's been a, a long, hot summer. I mean, if you're living in Seattle or Portland, it's been a really hot summer, but I mean, it's every day here in D.C. It's 90, 93, 95, horrible humidity. Whoever thought this was a great place to put the nation's capital should have had their heads examined. Yes, I know. It was a compromise. Hamilton, Madison. I know the whole history. Okay. It was a swamp. And feels like a swamp at times. Um, but it's also just a pretty discouraging time for our country. The fact is, and there are all kinds of reasons here, it's not just Republicans and conservatives, there are all kinds of reasons. Minority vaccination, significantly down, lagging behind the rest of the country. People who uh, have jobs where it's difficult to get away. There's just all kinds of reasons. Age, educational effects it. But this pandemic, it's so frustrating because this pandemic could almost be over. And instead, we've got the surging Delta variant. We've got the 63,000 new cases as of yesterday. We've got this great political divide. We've got finger pointing. We've got now this growing anger among vaccinated people toward unvaccinated people, especially with the CDC mask mandate. What vaccinated folks are saying, you know what? I did my part. I protected myself and those around me. I got my shots. Now I've got to be asked to wear a mask because of all these people 
who are refusing or hesitant or whatever to get shots where it's easy you go into you know right now you don't even need an appointment i mean for months it was impossible depending on what group you were in and of course there's a good debate as well of where the kids should have to wear masks in public schools increasingly that is not only the national guidance but what a lot of school districts are deciding and that's a tough thing for kids you know especially younger kids to have to wear a mask six seven hours a day so I wish there was some magic solution, just as we have for, for these life-saving vaccines to get into more arms as a way of stopping the spread of this Delta variant, but it doesn't seem to be the case. And then you go through the list of everything else, all the things that Biden wanted to do. I mean, I'm not even going to uh, talk about infrastructure because they're still negotiating and so forth. Just can't get it done. Voting rights, police reform, all of these issues that are so important to the country. And no matter what side you're on, it would be nice to see uh, the increasingly polarized, incredibly polarized Congress be able to grapple with these issues and come up with some kinds of compromise solutions. And it's just not happening. I, I think it's a sour time right now because we thought we had finally come out of this year-long nightmare, this dark winter. People were feeling good again. They were going on vacation. And now it seems like we're back in it. And thankfully, the hospitalization rates and the death rates are nowhere near what they were, for example, um, last year or even earlier this year. But that's sort of cold comfort when things could be so much better. And the polarizing debate, the fractured debate will resume tomorrow when President Biden, as reported, imposes the vaccination mandate or you got to get a negative COVID test on the nearly 3 million federal employees and probably a lot more federal contractors. He's doing what he can. And I think we'll be back to the red state, blue state divide, except in this instance. Kay Ivey, conservative Republican governor of Alabama, saying get vaccinated. Ron DeSantis, conservative Republican governor of Florida, saying get vaccinated. It's not like there's only voices on the left. Mitch McConnell saying get vaccinated. But it just seems like we can't get over the hump. And I would love to end on a more positive note. Uh, there was an uptick, I think, in the vaccination rate in recent days. Unless that turns into a bit of a surge, we're still going to be kind of mired in this endless summer. But on, on a more positive note, I hope you're having a good day. I hope things are well for you. If you're vaccinated, I hope you're getting back to a more normal life. We hope you'll subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts for more of this. We enjoy doing it. We hope you enjoy listening to it. Back here tomorrow with more BuzzFeed. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.